Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling. So today we are joined by Kathleen Wade. We are, to remind our viewers, focusing in on a CRO series. To remind everybody, it's all about um, topics such as revenue operations, customer success, go-to-market, function alignment, metrics that matter, forecasting pipeline, digital strategies, transformation. And we promise, as always, to bring you uh, actionable insights from our guests who are tenured and experienced chief revenue officers of high growth SaaS companies. And we've done exactly that today with Kathleen, one of the top 50 women in SaaS in 2021, who, as per her LinkedIn bio, is very grateful for her bartender to service others in best preparation for life and to face in your business. So with that introduction, welcome to today's show, Kathleen. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So as we kind of kick things off, we always ask our guests to tell us a bit about you and how you got to where you are. So given that this is our CRO focused series, how do you decide deliberately or not to become a CRO? What were some of the twists and turns uh, along that journey, you know, maybe university and some of your first kind of early roles that kind of gave you that passion for sales to end up where you are today? If you could share with our listeners some of that journey. Yes, I'm happy to. So Early in my career out of undergraduate school, um, I also went to graduate school thereafter, I found myself at a loss, even where to start. My first job was actually as a collector, literally picking up the phone and calling people to pay their bills. Uh, I did that for a week. And while I was doing that, I actually found, it was a credit card company. I ended up finding these patterns of fraud. I was calling people, they're like, that's not my bill. Like, that's not me. This is the early 1990s. Mm. And so that's when credit card fraud really started to abuse uh, the financial institutions and abuse consumers. So within a week of being a collector, I just had a natural ability to run reports, to find, to write rules, to kind of seek out these collection accounts that were actually fraud and not consumers' um, bad debt, if you will. So that kind of led me into... Uh, my first role within banking was to build a fraud department, a fraud prevention department, if you will, to, um, to stop this fraudulent behavior. I quickly led to working with a software company in the early 1990s that actually built machine learning models. Like today, yes, we talk about AI, we talk about machine learning, but the first true commercial application of machine learning was in the early 90s where a company by the name of HNC Software built a neural network to predict fraud. So I happened to get involved in this project since I ran fraud prevention for credit cards at the bank. And I just kind of fell in love with the performance, the output, like the outcome of what we could do in protecting the consumers as well as protecting the bank. That just led to a series of roles where that software company eventually hired me. They're like, we need an expert a bunch of great PhD level scientists, but had no business sense on how to actually run and operationalize their neural network or machine learning models. So they hired me as an industry expert. And I did that for a few years, but then I realized all the salespeople were taking me on sales calls. 
And I was basically closing business for them just based on my expertise in the area and showing them how they could operationalize this machine learning solution. And so I eventually was like, hey, I want to make money. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here and help you all, but how about I go sell? And so that's what led me into my sales career. And my sales career really has been mostly into financial institutions at various early stage companies. We took that company, HNC Software Public, it was the top five IPO in 1995. And that's where I fell in love with SaaS. That was a SaaS solution at that time. And you know, my, my career has been a series of basically sales leadership roles um, at various SaaS organizations with truly bleeding edge technology that helps solve, uh, solve problems for not only banks, but also consumers. So that's where that's how I ended up here at Proof. And I joined Proof as a sales leader. And then I was given the opportunity, thankfully, by my CEO and board to, uh, to move into the CRO role. So this is really my first CRO role um, that I've ever had. I've been in Proof for four years and we're growing, we're growing really well. So I'm, I'm really pleased with it thus far. Awesome story. I love the fact that you saw an opportunity and you used the things you found that came naturally, found an opportunity, a, a, an unserviced part of the market and figured out a pattern. I think that's uh, very much consistent with some of the stories we've heard on the show. So I suppose get, get, just to get into it, um, tell us a bit more about what you feel makes a chief revenue officer. You know, everybody um, talks about VP of sales and, you know, you, you've got sort of a very defined pattern. You've got a business development rep, you've got a, an SMB AE, a mid-market AE, a, you know, a enterprise person, um, field people even. Then you kind of move on to sales management, sales director, VP of sales, CRO. What do you feel sets a CRO apart from the organization, certainly from a strategic perspective? What does that look like maybe in your world? So I just want to clarify the question. So what sets a CRO apart from other roles or what, what, what makes an excellent CRO? I just want to make sure I understand the question a little bit. Better. Let's go to the first one first. So what separates a CRO? Because it's a relatively new term that we've heard in the last decade mm -hmm. or so. And VP of sales would have been a very familiar one. Um, and, it, you know, the progression through your career was such as I mentioned, but now CRO is a different role. So maybe just take us through what's different about that. And then we can get into what makes a great one. Yes, thank you for the clarification. So first and foremost, um, a CRO is really, we're responsible for the revenue number, which is quite different than the sales number. So especially in a SaaS business, you can close, you know, an annual contract value, an expected value of, uh, of a deal. But that doesn't always translate into a dollar for dollar revenue. So a CRO is really responsible for the revenue number of the company not necessarily the sales number because they're two very different metrics. And we report to, we're a, pub, a private company, we report to our board on what our revenue growth expectations are. Sales is always a part of that piece of it, but sales leads to revenue. And revenue is, is a lot about not only just closing the deal, but then getting that, that revenue live with our prospect, getting the ramp in volume in order to now our customer actually being happy with the solution and sending more volume our way, which includes in, which increases our revenue. So very distinct role. When you're a chief revenue officer, sales is a piece of it, but it only feeds the engine to predict your revenue. And accuracy of revenue prediction is the expectation from your board. And if you're a public company, certainly from the public. What traits do you feel set good CROs or exceptional CROs 
apart from, I guess, average CROs? So good question. I would say the first trait really is um, being direct. Like there is, there really is nothing fuzzy. One of the things I like about sales and, and being our CRO is that it's black and white. The number's the number. And that that is either you make your number or you don't. And that kind of direct thinking about this black and white is really what you should be delivering to your organization. So when you know things aren't going well or you know, we're, there's a problem with the implementation or there's, you know, a, maybe a delay in a product being rolled out or we have a production issue. A CRO always has to be very clear on when this happens, recognize that that reduces our revenue by X dollars, right? Or when we, when we beat things, right? When we, when we announce a product earlier than expected or we close a deal faster or we get them revenue live faster, same thing, like, hey guys, fantastic job. Now recognize that because you did this amazing work, we are able to pull revenue forward, which allows us to obviously grow at a greater rate. So I think clarity and always tying back people's actions to how it affects revenue, because revenue is kind of the kingpin of organizations, especially SaaS organizations and growing SaaS organizations. And, and just making sure everybody in the company knows how they're connected to it. You know, how is an engineer connected to revenue, right? How is marketing connected to revenue? I mean, obviously leads, you know, leads are a key element in order to get us to, an, to a pipeline and, but always connecting everybody in the company to their role with a really clear vision and articulation of what they do affects the company's performance revenue and what we deliver to our board as well as your own personal bonuses. Right? So you keep it personal and you, you keep it relevant to their particular role, but you're always very clear on it. There really is very, there should be very little gray when talking about revenue. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's, it's kind of really about, uh, the way you've described it, what I heard is, is that it, it's really about continuous delivery, isn't it? Between sellers and buyers throughout the buy-in life cycle and, and tenure of the relationship of uh, your customers. And, and that's kind of pre-sales, post-sales, and that involves many people. Um, so the distinction, I like the distinction you made between sales and revenue because sales is sales, but revenue is kind of more of a team sport and um, it involves a lot more folks. And I, I think the, the day of the lone wolf sales guy, you know, bringing clients to dinner and, and all of that kind of stuff, is a bit of a dying breed because people can contribute uh, throughout the, the buying life cycle in, in many ways, I think, uh, other than just closing revenue. You know, it could be assisting in demos. It could be all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I um, uh, that, that, that was some great insight there, Kathleen. Thanks for that. So, look, as you know, the, the main objectives of this series is to highlight the importance of, of the CRO role. And, and also to offer actionable insights to our listeners and help them become more effective in, in some of the key areas that, that Ross has already highlighted. Um, one of the most important responsibilities of the CRO, as, as you pointed out as well, is to reside over a healthy pipeline that can be forecast accurately. So mm -hmm. fundamentally revenue across the entire organization, not just from sales. And you've kindly agreed to, to discuss with us today how important forecasting and pipeline management is to high growth software companies like Prove. So setting the stage, um, 
you know, every salesperson, right, has, has missed a forecast or a big deal has slipped at one point or another in their career. And, and sales leaders all over the world today, right now, as we, as, as, as we, uh, as we discuss this topic, they're, they're wrangling with multiple opportunities that, you know, aren't updated in the CRM or don't have solid deal strategies attached, which makes forecasting accuracy for, for CROs like yourself, Kathleen, even more challenging. Mm-hmm. And my own mantra for, for, for sales orgs I lead is that we can't always control which opportunities we will win, but we can always control how much time we spend losing. So spend less time losing, I guess, is the key. You know, don't, don't, don't waste time watering the weeds where, you know, when the geraniums are dying beside you. Um, so what do you think? Well, so forecast accuracy, I, I, I agree with you. Let's, let's water the geraniums for sure. But accuracy yeah. really, it, it starts with, again, clarity on the expectation of the role of, this, of the salesperson. Um, I, I, I concur that the let's go to dinner and do a deal is, is dead. I'm just going to call it dead on arrival right now. Um, <laughs> because, you know, folks are well past that, right? They, people want to buy and actually sellers today, they, they want to sell excellent performing products. They, they realize that whatever they sell is their personal brand. So, um, you know, their personal brand and how, because there's always going to be another job, right? And, and they're building your network. They want to sell a quality solution that actually helps their consumers. It's not just sell it, move on. They're building their own personal brand. They're building their own personal network. That then leads into when I talk about forecasting, you, you have to hold your salespeople accountable for the base foundation of their job is keeping their CRM up to date. I don't think it's acceptable to say, yeah, you know, such and such is a top performer, but he or she, you know, is particularly lazy. So we're just going to give them a pass. No, like it, that's, that's part of your base job is to keep your forecast and your CRM as clean as possible. And I'm constantly in our CRM. I'm constantly calling out people like, hey, are you really closing this next week? Because that's what's being reflected here. Because I don't want to be doing a lot of overrides. I, I will do overrides when I look at the forecast. Um, I, won't, I don't want to go deal by deal to do overrides. I want the expectation to be high of sales directors. This is part of your base job, right? This is what you're signing up for. And this is how you will be evaluated. Um, at the same time, that data from a forecasting perspective is you have to have great data in order to build models in order to predict your revenue. So, and again, revenue prediction in sales is one piece of it, but then you have to forecast things like revenue live and revenue protection, like in customer success or account management, it's not just sales. So, but I'll focus a little bit on the sales pipeline. And how many sales stages do you guys have in your process, including closed one and closed loss? So there's two right there. How, ma- how many other stages do you have? Well, we have four primary stages that either lead to closed one or closed lo- close yeah. loss. Um, we keep it quite simple, but we, we have very clear um, checkpoints in order to move from stage to stage. So our very it's discovery, it's validation, yeah. it's proposal, and then it's negotiation. So four primary active sales stages um, in our CRM. Which one of those is the most important to you? What would you feel if you were giving advice to, to somebody, if, they, if you own, could only focus on one of those stages, which one would be the most important? It would be validation. Okay, um, why? Well, that's where you're either going to win the business or not. So from 
For what Prove does, I actually know our win rate by sales stage, which then feeds into my forecast. I know that discovery, if I'm in discovery, I win about 33% of all deals that are in discovery. When I move to validation, I'm up around 47%. Validation is where you as an organization are proving to your prospect the value that our solution delivers. So that's that's the make or break moment, right? That's where they build their business case. That's where they are, you know, they get their ROI. That's where they go say, I'm going to go get this budget because this stuff rocks and it's going to make me look like a rock star. So validation is all about making your prospect look like a rock star within his or her company. And that's the most important stage. It's where you truly understand, you know, what their business problem is, how we can help solve it. You help your side by side building the business case. You're their expert, but then they take it and they get to, you know, present it and be the hero within the company. Once so you I'm get probably stating the obvious here, but do, do you probably put a lot of your resource behind that particular stage? We do. We put a lot. And, and what we've done over time as we've grown in the last 18 months, we went from four salespeople to 35. Um, and what we've done is we've actually built resources around the validation stage so we can build consistency. In the past, sales directors would be in validation. They do their own thing, whatever made sense. Yeah. Now we have a small team of data analysts and business intelligence folks that actually support the validation stage. So we have, we have a single source or a single department that has knowledge about what worked well, what failed right in the validation stage. And it's not kept within the sales director. It's kept in our business intelligence group that supports the sales director in the validation stage. Then we, you know, then we can multiply that across all sales directors, our, you know, our uh, moratoriums and what went well, what didn't go well, that then becomes multiplied by 35 versus, you know, individual sales directors learning on their own and then just perfecting their particular craft. So does that mean that the exit criteria for discovery stage are more stringent based on the fact that um, things that get to validation are hugely important or not? <laughs> no, it is stringent. So it's pretty clear with, with uh, Prove. Our validation stage typically requires customers to provide us data to do a, uh, an analysis. So once, once we want to define how the validation will go, because every customer is a little bit different, right? Their data is different. Their business objectives are different. In discovery, we're basically building the business plan for how they're going to validate our solutions helping them. And so once that- That's wonderful. Plan, yeah. Yeah. I love that um, be, because it's, it, there's a collaboration there. there, there there's effort on the customer side to participate in and, and validate. And, you know, again, I love the way you call your sales stages. Uh, they, they seem to be descriptors of the buyer's journey rather than your own selling journey. So, huh. so there's validation there on the customer side to validate that if they hire your, your product to kind of do some jobs and solve some problems that they're validating that it's a formidable product and it's worthy and you know that the people behind it kind of do what they say they'll do and they're timely and all that kind of stuff it's a great 
that seemed for me that 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 sounds like a like a wonderful breeding ground for for collaboration right there at that particular stage and i can see why you get behind that as well um yeah that that's um that's very interesting because it, it's something that hasn't emerged really through through our conversations with a lot of sales leaders um i think that that kind of hyper focused um uh, approach based on how people actually engage or buy your your solution yeah john one of the things that i feel from a sales perspective we're very consultative mm -hmm. but you know when you get when you drink your own kool-aid right you know, every company does it you start thinking inward and and one of the real roles of a cro is to continue to make the organization think about your customer and and the seat that they're in and the best sellers are always putting themselves in the seat of the customer or the buyer or the prospect and truly understanding what they're fighting internally and what their objectives are. And then just marrying, if we can marry the solution to help them achieve those objectives. And, and if we can't, you better walk. You better say, you know what? We're probably not the right solution for you right now, but you know, we wish you luck. Feel free to call me in the future if something else works out. Those are the, the I'd rather walk than try to push something and not that we're not understanding their business objectives. And if we can't meet it, then then we shouldn't be doing business. And I'm really good with that. I'm good with things falling out of discovery stage. And a sales director says, yeah, you know, we're not really going to meet their needs. So we shook hands and we, you know, we moved on, but we created a great relationship. Yeah, that's um I think that's a fresh approach um, because for me, in, in my experience, um, you know, a lot of the time, the, the, it, it, it's kind of in reverse, you know, the, the sales leadership are kind of forcing, sometimes I found um, salespeople to commit deals or to kind of say, yeah, you know, they're, 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 I think there's a chance that we might get this deal. Uh, purely to to kind of build up and, and and stack the forecast so that it it buys them some time and in the meantime they can kind of work on other deals you know to backfill mm -hmm. that situation and before you know it it just gets completely out of hand it takes a lot of courage to uh, to make that kind of stance well and you want to empower your people to do it right because again right. it goes back to their personal brand yeah and and as a leader you want to support the individual's personal brand first and foremost because that just that says a lot to them um and i firmly believe it like if if we were doing or we were just trying to sell to sell and not actually help solve our customers problems it's going to damage their brand ultimately damage the company ultimately damage me I, you know i think the right thing to do is sit in your customer's seat and figure out are we the best solution for them and if we are, go passionately after it, help them, make them the hero. But those are all key things that in the discovery and the validation stage, to kind of bring it back to forecasting, they're really key. Is that something that has evolved um, in, in, in your tenure um, um, as, as a CRO? Um, or did, did you bring that in the door with you, you know, in terms of, of your, your, your main philosophies and, and whatnot? Or is that something that has evolved? I think I brought it with me and okay. it started it started back when I was a fraud prevention manager, right? Like yeah. I really wanted to help consumers. I didn't want them to be victims of fraud and I needed a better solution to do it. So we bought this solution because it actually was going to help the company, help consumers. And I felt very passionately about it. So that mentality of, I was the buyer. 
And that mentality has kind of carried me through my various roles in my career to just say, you know, constantly put yourself in the buyer's seat and then you will, you will lose in discovery and I'm going to lose in discovery, right? Once you get past validation and into proposal and in negotiations, our win rates better be super, super high. Like in negotiation, we win like 92% of our deals. We should not be losing deals in negotiation, right? So, so, you know, when you think about forecasting, each one of those sales stage has a win rate associated with it. And then you can associate a probability on top of that in order to forecast against the, the close date and then the revenue live date, because in our company, it's, there are two different things. Yeah. Because you got to get them that, you know, you got to get the APIs coded and in production and up and running. Those are all data elements that go into our forecasting practice for new revenue. And then you have to have a separate forecasting process for live revenue. So, and customer success in our organization is, you know, very important in protecting, you know, tens and tens of millions, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in live revenue. So it's, it's really three components. It's sales forecasting, it's revenue live forecasting when you're in implementation, and then it's revenue protection and revenue growth once you're live. Yeah. I, I, I love it. The, the, um, somebody once taught me early in, in my career that that business is lost the same way it's won. If you win on price, then you'll eventually lose to price. And there, there's always going to be someone with deeper pockets than you. But if you help prospects learn a new way to think about your solution, it's going to take that kind of effort and then some to win that business away from you. And, and let's face it, there, there aren't many sellers willing to do that. So it, it sounds like you're set up for that. I would imagine that your retention rates are quite high. Yes. Um, thankfully, we have, um, we really haven't had any losses um, of wow. sales directors. So, you know, the, the, I'll call them regrettable losses, if you will. I mean, we yeah. do, we do actually have a process where in 90 days, you have a certification here at Prove. Mm. In order to, and if you don't pass the certification, then, then, then you probably won't be continuing with the organization. But in, in hiring so fast, so quick, we had to figure out a way to make sure not only in the interview process, but in the first 90 days that we're empowering them to get up and running and that they have ultimately the chops to get it done. And so we built this certification process that, that every sales director goes through in their first 90 days. Like what? So the certification process, ultimately the crescendo is you do a mock presentation with key members of the team, both uh, leaders as well as technical people, SEs. And depending on how your mock presentation goes, it's scored, people give feedback. Um, if you, you know, if you are giving wrong information, right? We don't like wrong information. You have to be accurate. Yeah. You know, if you don't know an answer to a question, please just say, I don't know. That's a great question. I'll get back to you. Um, if you are really not articulating the value proposition of prove either accurately or with passion, or you can't get to the outcome you're looking for. And again, the outcome of this is to do a full-blown, like your end in mind for that particular session would be to get to a full-blown discovery meeting where we're going to define the validation criteria. If you can't get there because you're not leading the prospect or the discussion to get the next appointment. Yeah. So it's a scoring system. We do a rubric, we score it. If you score low, we kind of give you feedback. We let you go again 
Like, let's, let's give you a second round. And then if you don't pass the second round, then we're probably an ill-matched partnership. And of course, you're testing also on the second round for, for if they're coachable. If, if they have the ability to adapt and learn and, and because uh, adapt, uh, to be able to adapt uh, and to be agile in, 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 um, in leadership in today's world is, is absolutely table stakes, isn't it? It is. And, and so, you know, coachable, coachability is, is so key. That's one of the first things that I look for um, in a conversation. I don't really call them interviews. I call them conversations. But when you're meeting somebody new to figure out if you guys should work together, you have a conversation, you'll know if they're coachable or not. One of the things that that I do in every interview is, and it throws people off, I don't do it for that purpose, but I, I start every interview saying, forget about your resume. Like your resume is awesome. That's why we're talking. Tell me a little yeah. bit about you and please don't include stuff on your resume, but anything that you want to share, the book that you're reading, your family, I don't know what you like to do for fun. I don't know the color of the sky where you're at. doesn't matter. Just ignore your resume. And I will tell you at least, you know, 30 to 50% of the time, people just go right back to their resume. So that gives me an indication. Are you a good listener? Are you coachable? Like I genuinely want to know you as a person. And that's my question, right? Will you fit into our culture? Um, you know, what are you passionate about? Like, those are really key insights for me from a, like, are you going to be an awesome salesperson? But the people that defer back to their resume, those are the ones I worry about. Those are the ones that I don't have that first, like really good vibe that they're going to be awesome because they, they can't go off script because they're prepared to talk about their resume. Do you think people are afraid of that? It's funny that the, um, not so long ago, I mean, I'd say in the last 10 years, um, I, I was involved in, in, um, in, in some interviews and um, my, my boss, um, um, uh, she, she was an incredible leader, um, um, helped me to kind of make it through based on, because my focus was on what I did and what I did was, was splendid, <laughs> but, but it was the, what you're, what you're describing there. Um, for me, I, I felt that, um, you know, maybe that's not what people are looking for. Um, it clearly is what you're looking for, but how do you make people feel at ease around kind of, you know, the personal attributes or, or, or kind of being themselves, you know, because the first thing, you know, the first advice, right, that people might give you is, you know, just go in there and be yourself and you'll be fine, you know. Um, my, my um, <laughs> I remember before um, my wife was like, oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> if, people, if people say to me, just go in there and be yourself, she's like, oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> but there's a fine line, isn't there, between, you know, kind of, people people being you know personable and 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 it is an important kind of um element of a sales role is is the ability to quickly build trust and you know uh, kind of be seen as a formidable character etc but do, is it your experience that, that some people find that difficult in an interview kind of situation so if it's a sales director that i'm interviewing you know versus customer yeah. success or implementations yeah, um, yeah. Most of the time, they're really good with it. Most okay, of the time, yeah. because that's their that's their natural state, right? And so, I, I tend to tee up the conversation of, I personally have one version of myself, 
Like my family gets the same version that work gets because it's just too darn exhausting to be different people. So I tend to swear in interviews because, you know, I'm charming that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm with but you. So I, I tend to just, I set the tone to say, you know, I don't want you to have to bring different versions. You know, we talk about authenticity a lot, but, you know, bring your true self to work, whoever that is. And, and I also say, listen, if there's something, just talk about whatever you're comfortable talking about, right? Just not resume related. And um, the best sales directors are quickly engaged, right? They, they make the conversation fun. I try to come back at them with some, you know, then I use what they tell me to kind of relate to, you know, what I align with or a little bit about me. So it's a two-way street. Like we're first 10 to 15 minutes is about who we are as people. And, and I, I think it sets a really good tone for one, are they coachable? Are they personable? Can they, can they go off script? You know, can they pivot? Cause that's all salespeople are really, they have to pivot constantly. Um, I think it's just a really good litmus test at the beginning before you jump into maybe your industry knowledge or, you know, your past successes. It just sets a really um, important tone if you were to join Prove because culture, I'm passionate about culture. Um, I'm passionate about making sure that people are clear in their communication, that our expectations are high and we say that, but people really can come whoever they are to, to the workplace. Yeah, so look, maybe we finish out with that. And I suspect I know the answer to this um, because um, uh, what you've just described is um, I believe it's it, it, it's wonderful. If you've any jobs going over there, I'll work. I'll work for you, <laughs> Kathleen, no problem. But we ask all of our guests um, what their superpower is. And, um, you know, I know you probably need to possess many to be a successful CRO these days. But can you share with us what your superpower is? Like I said, I suspect I, I kind of know already uh, what it might be. And, and how has that superpower served you and, and the organizations you've helped grow? Yeah, so... I, I really feel like my superpower is talent and, and hiring people better than me. And I'm, I'm really good with that. Mm. Uh, you know, I've got a number of people on my team here that if I'm, you know, not here tomorrow, they can step into my shoes for sure. It's not intimidating. It's you want to hire people who feel empowered, give them that empowerment, who you can learn from. Right. I think leaders always think, oh, I've got to teach them stuff. It's it's a two way street. So and I try to behave that way. I try again, I set expectations high. I'm very clear on that. But in in hiring and bringing in top level talent, right, if you do that well as a leader, your job is becomes you know, easier and easier. And you should be finding people that can take your job tomorrow if you're not here. And that's what's really served me well. And just remember, it's a two-way street. You learn from them, they learn from you. It's a, it's a continuous process of improvement that we all need to be engaging in. And um, you know, from, a, from a talent perspective, I've been really, really blessed with some super smart, motivated, passionate people who really do an excellent job. Fantastic. I, I love what you said about kind of uh, other people uh, uh, helping you and, and you learning from other people. I, I think personally, it's it's always been um, one of my weaknesses. You know, when people ask you about your, your strengths or your weaknesses, one of my weaknesses has always been to ask for help. I don't think it's even ask for help. I think it's how to ask for help <laughs> because 
you know, so, sometimes it, it can be challenging that, you know, you're supposed to kind of know a lot of things, um, being a senior leader of an organization, uh, et cetera. But certainly something that has, um, that I've, I have uh, learned to uh, do, do a lot better, um, you know, as, as the years go on. And, it, and it's mm -hmm. funny, um, a lot of people, and I'm sure you ask people what their strengths and weaknesses are. They're they're uh, they're really unsure. They, they 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 people struggle to answer that question. I find you know they they they'd say like, well, I, I tend to be over analytical about you know kind of the deals in my pipeline, and I, and I'm like, nah, I don't think that's a weakness. Right. <laughs> I think that's a strength. <laughs> so, so yeah. It can be very, very difficult. But um, look, I, I, I think that's a good um, note to close on, Kathleen. I, I, I want to really, really thank you for your contribution. Tons of very valuable insights um, in uh, during the course of our, our, our conversation. And, and certainly, you know, kind of um, insights into your, your own philosophy and a lot of the things that um, I, I personally would align with. And, and you know, I, I, there isn't a doubt in my mind that prove is, is an absolutely wonderful uh, uh, place to be. And um, actually, why don't we finish out on that? Um, what, what are you guys up to these days? What are, what are the, um, how's the company growing? You know, at what rate is it expanding? Have you raised money? Are you hiring? Kind of what's, what's going on? Yeah, so we're hiring. We're hiring a lot. Um, from a sales perspective, we're actually almost looking to double again uh, in the next 12 months. Um, we just got named for the fifth year in a row, uh, Deloitte's Fast 500. Wow. Very, very unique. To be, thank you. Very unique to be five years in a row. And I thank our marketing department and our entire revenue delivery team for allowing us to achieve that. So, um, so growth is on the horizon uh, and continued growth is on the horizon. But we're hiring, uh, I think we went from, I don't know, a little over 100 people to I think we're up to 320 people now and just growing dramatically in the last 18 months. Uh, and it's really been a fun ride. Fantastic. Well, like I said, we wish you guys the very, very best of luck. And, um, you know, we look forward to um, our audience uh, listening to your uh, podcast um, episode here. And um, as part of the, the the grander kind of CRO series, I, I, I think it was uh, absolutely fantastic speaking with you, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Likewise, Kathleen, real pleasure and uh, tremendous insight shared today and look forward to welcoming you on the show in the future if you're up for it. Yes, absolutely. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.